Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the message. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God who speaks and um, you're a God who loves us, and you love to show yourself to us. And we need you, and we uh, ask that you would show yourself to us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Show of hands if you've ever watched a video, a movie, a documentary of a, an ocean scene. So any kind of National Geographic ocean scene. Okay, so most of you. Um, so they can be cool. Some are, some are very cool. Some are incredibly cool. Well, this January, we um, had our annual fellowship group Christmas party. And we, um, I'm in a, a fellowship group with Kate and Brett Braun, who are over here. And um, Brett had a cool new toy, which was the Oculus Goggles, which is a virtual reality goggles. Show of hands if you've ever used these before. Okay, so a lot less. Well, I, I clicked on the one, or he set me up on one, where I was in a, probably in, in Hawaii, in a, on a surfing expedition, and I am wearing these goggles, and you are like on, it feels like you're on the surfboard, and the wave is curling around you, and the way these virtual reality goggles work is anywhere you look, you see the ocean, you can see fish, you can, you, it's like you are in it, and uh if I had a pair of those, I could waste a lot of time watching videos with, with those goggles because it is incredible. And as incredible as it is, it's still not the same as being in the ocean. Um, over the years, I'm a water person. I grew up going to the Atlantic Ocean. My dad now lives on the Gulf of Mexico and Florida. So we love to swim around in the ocean, in the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, go out way over our heads and wear goggles and look all around. And it's, it was cool seeing the virtual reality stuff. But it's even more incredible when the salt water's splashing up against you, when the waves are knocking you around. And this morning, what I want us to think about, the big question I want you to think about, is the difference between knowing true things or watching something from a distance and having a live encounter with something or someone. And this morning, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 9. And I want us, my prayer has been that we would encounter Jesus Christ. We wouldn't just learn more things about him. We are going to learn some more things about him. But we would have a live, fresh encounter with him. That it would be different than even the virtual reality experience of seeing this incredible thing. Versus being in the ocean and being tossed around and enjoying it um, live. So the big question of this message and the title of this message is, Have you encountered Him? Have you encountered Jesus Christ? Have you encountered Him initially? Like put your trust in Him. Have you encountered Him recently? That's a different question than... Do you go to church? Did you grow up in a Christian family? Do you know what the Bible is about? Do you know Bible stories? See, this question is probing at, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus 
in an ongoing way. The first point I want us to think about is encountering his glory. Look at Mark 9, verse 1. And he said to them, to his disciples, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So he's preparing his disciples, he's teaching his disciples, he's instructing his disciples, and he's telling them, you're going to catch a glimpse of something that is going to be incredibly powerful and memorable. Now, Bible commentators debate about what he's talking about here. Some think it's his transfiguration where he kind of draws back the curtains of who he really is. and You see his godness and it's incredible. Some think it's referring to his death and resurrection. I, and some think it's both. Some think it, it could be both. I think it definitely includes the transfiguration. So look at verse 2. So Mark intentionally writes verse 1, then he writes verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So that's the three closest disciples to Jesus. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. So we know Jesus is fully man and fully God. And what he did on this mountain was he revealed his godness in a way that they had not seen before. Verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So they were looking at something supernatural. Something that no eye had seen before. Verse 4. And there appeared to him Elijah from the Old Testament with Moses. So Elijah is a prophet. He represents the prophets. Moses was on Mount Sinai when the law was given. So you often hear Elijah and Moses as shorthand for the Bible, for the Old Testament, the prophets and the law. But they were really there with Jesus, which points to there is an afterlife. And they were not afraid to be with Jesus. So they were in good relationship with Jesus and they were talking with Jesus. So the disciples have seen all kinds of crazy things by this point. But this one would have really shocked them. And so Peter... We love Peter. He gets nervous, it seems, in verse 5. And he begins to talk. I'm like that. When I get nervous, I talk and laugh, even in serious situations. And it doesn't always help me. But I can relate to Peter. Um, Some people get quiet when they get nervous. Peter and myself, we we talk. And that, that causes problems at times. He said, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So, hey, maybe we should set up a tabernacle here. Let's, let's do some things. Verse 6, for he did not know what to say. I love that. He did not know what to say, so he just started talking. Who can't, who can't relate to that? Um, for they were terrified. So this is Jesus who they've been with for a number of years. They, they know him. They trust him. And yet they they just saw a new side of him. His glory is being revealed. His otherness is being revealed. And they are terrified. Verse 7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice 
came out of the cloud. So in the Old Testament, we know clouds are a sign of God's presence. And God is speaking here. And and this is what God said. Verse 7, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. This is my unique son. This is my one and only son. Listen to him. A couple of things should jump out at us. This should remind us in some ways of Mount Sinai when Moses was there and the law was given. But see, at Mount Sinai, the, the Israelites could not even come up to Mount Sinai because of God's holiness, because of God's glory. They would actually be killed. Here we have a live encounter with the living Christ and no one dies. They see a glimpse of His glory and God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son. Listen to Him. Now this listen to Him is not just listen to Him. It's listen and obey. Listen and do what he says. So parents, it's like if we tell our kids something, we, we, we talk about chores, we ask them to do something, what we're not doing is just giving them information that they can hear and repeat back to us. Could you please take out the garbage? What did I say? I said, did, could you please take out the garbage? That's not what I'm, I'm wanting them to know. I want them to take the garbage out. So that's what God the Father is saying. This is my son. It will go well with you if you listen and obey Him. If you put your trust in Him and you follow Him. He is trustworthy. So we want to trust in Jesus for our salvation. We want to obey Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. So Peter, James, and John are trying to figure out what happened. Verse 8, And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone. Elijah disappears, Moses disappears, the voice from heaven disappears. Everyone's gone, but Jesus only is left with them. So now they got this thing like, what just happened? What did we just see? Jesus, we have questions. We're not sure what that was. Verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until... The Son of Man, a title for Jesus, had risen from the dead. So he's pointing to his eventual death and resurrection. Verse 10, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what is this rising from the dead? What does that mean? Verse 11, they said, they asked him, what do the scribes, what do the lawyers of the day of the Old Testament law, what do they say? They said, first Elijah must come. So they're trying to figure out, they know some of the Bible, they're trying to figure out what happened. Jesus is talking about being the Messiah, but he's also talking about dying, so it doesn't fit their framework at all. They're spinning around. Jesus tries to help them. Look at verse 12. Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I will tell you, Elijah has come And they did to him whatever they please as it is written of them. In other words, Jesus is trying to help them. He's saying, 
Elijah did come, and Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. He was a type of Elijah. So when the prophet Malachi wrote that Elijah must come before the Messiah, he's saying that already happened. And now Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's to come. It started in chapter 8. He's giving glimpses of what it means that he will live and die for sinners. So the disciples are trying to figure out all of what this means. But here's a really important point for them and for us. They get a glimpse of Jesus that is life-changing for them. That he is not just another religious leader. He is fully God himself. And these men will eventually die many decades from when this was happening for their faith in Christ. John will die in exile on the island of Patmos. According to church history, Peter and James were killed for their faith. They were so in with Jesus because of their encounters with Jesus. See, if your relationship to Christianity, if all it is, is factual information, but no relationship, what will happen when life pressures you, you will fold. You will fold because you don't know Jesus. Now some of us, when life pressures, we still fold, but we know Jesus And more importantly, He knows us and He preserves us. See, we need a real personal encounter with Jesus. And we need personal encounters on an ongoing way. We need to be talking with Jesus. We need to pray to Jesus. We need to sing to Jesus. We need to be in this book. And if we do that, we will make it. We will enjoy Jesus in good times and in bad. So we want to see His glory. And we have the whole Bible to be able to read and study and pray and encounter him on a daily basis. So encounters glory. Now Peter, James, and John, they get a glimpse, but now they're going to get to see his power as well, which is the second point. Encounter his power. Encounter his power. Verse 14. The disciples, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So Jesus leaves the mountain. He has Peter, James, and John. He, he rejoins the other nine disciples. The religious leaders are there. There's arguing. If you're catching in the book of Mark, there's a lot of conflict in the midst of good, powerful things that Jesus is doing. And this, this day is no different. Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. Can't talk. He's demon-possessed. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, tense, tight. He's not in control of his own body. So I asked your disciples to cast him out. And they were not able. So we have a desperate dad. Has an afflicted son. 
And he asked the disciples first, can you, can you help my son? And they weren't able to help his son. And we're going to see why in a moment. But now Jesus himself is there. And they know enough of who Jesus is and what he's done already that at least the desperate dad thinks, oh, he's powerful enough to help my son. My son who no one else seems to be able to help. So look at verse 19. And Jesus answered them. And, and when I read this, I, I don't think it's like the sharp correction. I think it's, it's a, it is a correction, but it's a compassionate correction. Oh, faithless generation. It's sort of an exasperated correction. How, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you, if you truly got who I was, you would know there's no situation in your life, no circumstance, no challenge, no dilemma that I cannot deliver you from. If you're with Jesus, you are in safe hands. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. I think if you're like me, I read these things in the Bible and then we just go to the next verse. This would be a life-changing scene for us if we experienced this live. If there was a boy foaming at the mouth, being pushed all around, flopping on the floor, out of control, and Jesus showed up and frees him, we wouldn't forget that. We would be talking. I, we probably, none of us would probably sleep tonight. It would be so amazing, terrifying, incredible. We would just be telling everybody about it and trying to process what we just witnessed. So when we read these encounters, we want to remember these really happened. And Jesus really has not changed. If anything, his power is unleashed in a much greater way as the ascended Christ in heaven at the right hand of God. So Jesus asks a diagnostic question. Verse 21. To be Jesus, he, he would never be afraid like we would be afraid. If we were in that scene, we might be running for the doors. We might be calling 911. Jesus just asked a simple diagnostic question. How long has, he, has this been happening to him? Calm as could be. So how long has this chaos been happening? And he said, from childhood. And then the dad tells how terrible it has been. And if you're a parent or a grandparent or a caretaker, I want you to just think about if this was your son and your responsibility, someone you loved for, cared for, and just could not help. This is the father's life experience year after year. Verse 22, It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Dad just watches this. Mom watches this. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. See, this wasn't just a one-time event for the dad. He is in complete desperation. And he, I'm sure, has trauma from seeing his son being afflicted for so many years. Jesus, if you can do anything, See, that's how we encounter the Lord. We, we cry out to the Lord. We, Jesus, if you can do anything in this situation, 
Would you please, please help us? And he is quick to help. He loves to help. He loves to answer our prayers. Look at what verse 23 says. The question was if you can do anything. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, if I, if I can do anything, all things are possible for the one who believes. In other words, if I can, surely I can. The question is, do you believe that I can? Do you think I really am who I say that I am? Do you think I really am who I've been demonstrating that I am? Do you know that I came into this broken world to make all right? If I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now this dad is, I wish we knew his name, because he's so real. He's had major trauma watching his son be afflicted for years. He's coming to Jesus in absolute desperation. Jesus just gently corrects him again. Surely I can help you. But look what the father's honest response is. Immediately the father of the child cried out. And he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe you can help me or I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't bring my son before you. But I have doubts. I'm wondering I'm wondering if you really can help me, if you really do care for me and my son. Who can't relate to that? I mean, you think about what's weighing heavy on your mind and heart this morning, this week, this month, this year. If we're honest, we we all have moments like that. Lord, I believe you can help me. I believe you can help this situation. Now I'm doubting. I don't know if you can help. I think you can help. I want you to help. You help others. You help other Christians in other places. I don't know if you want to help me. I don't know if you love me enough to help me. Can you relate to that? But see, even that is encountering the Lord, is being honest before Him with your fears, your worries, your concerns. Bring them to Him. I think at times as Christians, we think if we're having those doubts, We need to stay away from Him. We need to close this book and not come back until faith is way high and we're ready. It's just the exact opposite. It's like your kids coming to you. We want them to come when they're upset, when they're hurt, when they're afraid, when they're messy. We don't send them back out, clean yourself up, wipe the tears off, clean off the blood, and then I'll help you. That's not how we do it as parents. That's not how Jesus does it as our Savior. Run to him. He is powerful. Verse 25, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, So most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So Jesus frees this young boy. 
He delivers him completely. And he says, don't touch him again, evil spirit. He's mine. If you are in Christ, you belong to Him. He is watching over you. He cares for you. So do not believe the lie that your circumstances and your feelings might be telling you. He doesn't love me because of this, this, and this. That is not true. He loves you in a way that you could never imagine. And we're going to catch a glimpse of that here in a moment. But before we get there, the disciples ask an important question. Why, why couldn't we do it, Jesus? I thought you gave us authority to do this. Why couldn't we do it? And he said, this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, by dependence on me. See, we don't heal people. We don't free people. We don't save people as Christians. Jesus does. And so we pray to him and watch him work. We depend on Him and watch Him work. Does Jesus free? Absolutely. Does Jesus save? Absolutely. Does He heal at times? Absolutely. But He's the one that we depend on. So we want to petition Him. And the more we ask, I think often the more He responds because it's showing we trust Him. We have faith. And we're going to pursue Him. And there are times he, he answers differently than we even beg him to do. And we have to trust him in those times too. But don't believe the lie that he does not love you, that he is not good, that he is not powerful, that he is not watching out for you. The next thing that, that we're going to see is how incredible his sacrificial love is for us. So not only is Jesus glorious, as he revealed on the mountain. Not only is he powerful like he showed with the demon-possessed young man, but his love is, is like nothing else that we humanly can experience. It is absolutely otherworldly. It is, it is incredible. His kind of love is so different than our kind of love that we naturally have for one another. To set verse 30 up, I want you to think about it from this lens. See, when Jesus came to earth, Jason talked about this last week, he knew he came to die. He knew he came to do many things, but he knew really the number one thing he was coming to do was to die a brutal death by crucifixion and experience God's hatred and anger for sin. He enlisted, in a sense, to die. I mean, that is so different than how we think about human achievement and accomplishments. I'm a, a big sports fan, so I like to, LeBron James just surpassed Michael Jordan in um, total points scored in the NBA. That's, a, that's an accomplishment. We, we celebrate that. Sports fans celebrate that. Um, if you, whatever field of, of work you're in, You've probably been to dinners where you celebrate the people that do the best in that field. Human achievement is something we celebrate. Accomplishments are something we celebrate. We don't celebrate so-and-so came to earth to die. That's not what we celebrate. Or think about it this way. Those of you who have been in the military, have children in the military, a soldier does not enlist 
in the army with the primary purpose of dying. The day they enlist, they, they don't say, my goal is to die. They realize death can be a reality to enlisting, but it's not their goal. It can be a consequence and a tragedy of war, but it's not the goal. Jesus' goal was to die for you and I. He came into this world knowing he would suffer for you and I. That is a radical kind of love that is very different than our natural inclination, which is the, the next point. Encounter his sacrificial love. I want you to encounter this, to really believe this for yourself. Look at verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And did, he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. So he's, he's got the 12 aside. He's giving them special instruction. And this is what he says. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. The Son of Man is the title Jesus is referring to himself. He's trying to prepare them. See, the Jewish people believed the Messiah would come. But even the disciples had a distorted view of what that would be. They thought he was going to be a triumphant leader, a king of kings. And he is a king of kings. They just did not know he had to go through death and crucifixion to get there. We'll see later on that um, some of the disciples wanted to rule with Jesus. They didn't understand. And so he's trying to help them understand. He's, he's saying, I'm going to be wrongly tried for crimes I did not do. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. I am going to be killed. And he knew he was going to be killed by crucifixion. And the whole reason he came was so that he would die for our sins. Paul gets this in Romans 5. He says, But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Messiah, the promised deliverer of the Old Testament, died for us. See, Jesus came to earth to rescue you. And the way he rescues you is by living a perfect life, and paying for your sins on the cross. And when he died, he then rose from the grave three days later. And so if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have turned to him, then you are a recipient of salvation and his eternal life and his eternal love. The challenge is, I think, for some of us who are Christians is especially as life gets harder and life goes on more and more, is you, you have trouble believing that Jesus really loves you. That he so loves you that if you were the only one on all the globe and all throughout all the centuries, he would actually come and rescue you. He would come for you. He loves you that much. And some of you might think, well, oh, he might come for a good person, like my friend or my neighbor, but he wouldn't come for me. 
do you know what I've done? Do you know what I think? Do you know what kind of thoughts come through my mind? Do you know what kind of hurt I've caused? See, that's the good news of the Bible. If you turn to Jesus, you receive that free gift of salvation. He forgives all your sins. You're adopted as a son or daughter into his family. And he washes you. He changes you. He puts his spirit in you. Makes you new. So it's not that you're just told to obey. You actually have power to obey. So please, I I beg you, believe that he loves you personally. Put your name, first, last, middle name in there. He loves you. He took punishment for you. As we begin to head towards Easter, he We're going to see in the book of Mark, he knows he's going to die. And he's increasingly going to be talking about it more and more. He's resolved to do that. To rescue you and I. If I could have the band come up, what we're going to do is we're going to close with the song, Jesus Paid It All. And as you sing that last song, ask the Lord to give you fresh faith for those, the truth of those words that he paid for your sins of long ago and your sins of today or or this week. So let's pray. You guys can all stand and we're going to sing this final song. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help to encounter Jesus afresh this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that as we sing these lyrics that are based on your truth, that there wouldn't be anyone here who wouldn't believe that you have paid for their sins. And if there's any that have not yet trusted you, I pray you would give them faith, grace, and power to turn to you and put their trust in you. And we, we will give you all the praise. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.